Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more. Give them a call. Johnson'sAirConditioning.com is the website. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is LifeInNaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark is an author. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Larry Reed is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll visit with Larry as well as Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of several books. His latest two are Murder Mysteries. They're fantastic. Uh, Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree. It is November the 8th and on this day in 1864, Northern voters overwhelmingly endorsed the leadership and policies of President Abraham Lincoln when they elected him to a second term. With his re-election, any hope for a negotiated settlement with the Confederacy totally vanished. In 1864, Lincoln faced many challenges to his presidency. The war was now in his fourth year, and many were questioning if the South would ever be fully conquered militarily. Union General Ulysses S. Grant mounted a massive campaign in the spring of that year to finally defeat the Confederate Army of General Robert E. Lee, but after sustaining significant losses at the Wilderness, Spotsylvania, Cold Harbor and Cold Harbor. The Yankees bogged down around Petersburg, Virginia. As the fall approached, Grant seemed to no closer to defeating Lee than his predecessors. Additionally, Union General William T. Sherman was planted outside of Aldana, but he could not take that city. Some of the radical Republicans were unhappy with Lincoln's conciliatory plan for reconstruction of the South, and many Northerners had never been happy with Lincoln's 19 or 1862. Emancipation Proclamation, which converted the war from one of reunion to a crusade to destroy slavery. Weariness with the war fueled calls for a compromise with the seceded states. The Democrats nominated George Lee McClellan, the former commander of the Union Army of the Potomac. McClellan was widely regarded as a brilliant in organizing and training the army, but he had failed to defeat Confederate Army General Robert E. Lee in Virginia. Ian Lincoln quarreled constantly during his tenure as general and chief of army, and Lincoln replaced him with McClellan failed to uh, when McClellan failed to pursue Lee into Virginia after the Battle of Antietam in Maryland in September 1862. In the months leading up to the 1864 election, the military situation gained dramatically, changed dramatically. While Grant remained stalled in Petersburg, Mobile Bay fell to the uh, Federal Navy in August. Sherman captured Atlanta in September, and General Philip Sheridan secured Virginia's Shenandoah Valley in October. On Election Day, Lincoln carried all but three states, Kentucky, New Jersey, and Delaware, and won 55% of the vote. He won 212 electoral votes to McClellan's 21. Most significantly, a majority of the Union troops voted for their commander-in-chief, including a large percentage of McClellan's old command, the Army of the Potomac. Perhaps most important was the fact that the election was held at all. Before this, no country had ever held elections during a military emergency. Lincoln himself said, We cannot have free government without elections, and if the rebellion could force us to forego or postpone a national election, it might fairly claim to have already conquered and ruined us, he said. Five months after Lincoln's re-election, the collapse of the Confederacy was complete. And you know the rest of the story. Also, uh, Joe Biden's supposed to be able to restore goodwill and image of the United States around the uh, the world, right? Well, there's a few issues here. One, apparently, he let out long, loud flatulence while speaking with the Duchess of Cornwall at the uh, climate change summit. Camilla Parker Bowles had to stop talking about the 78-year-old's quote-unquote long fart it's been reported the pair were making small talk at the global climate change gathering in Scotland when last week when the president broke wind, according to an informed source that spoke to the mail on Sunday. It was long and loud and impossible to ignore, the source told the outlet. Camilla had to stop talking about it. She was, of course, been married to Prince Charles since 2005 and was taken back by the flatulence. Hours earlier, Biden appeared 
to nod off during opening remarks at the climate change conference. Apparently he had a little problem with, uh, with meeting with the Pope, too. It extended the time because apparently he, uh, he's taking some medication, apparently supposed to keep him alert and more cogent. Than, uh, and the consequence, of course, is always un- unintended consequences with medication that may cause these problems with incontinence. But he also had a problem with the Pope that w- as well that took uh, a little while to clean up, apparently. Anyhow, Joe uh, making amends with the world after Trump. <laughs> He's not doing a very good job, I don't think. Uh, it's kind of amusing. The U.S. House of Representatives on Friday approved President Joe Biden's $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill with the support of a dozen, plus one Republicans. Six progressive Democrats have voted no on the bill. Biden's expected to sign the bill as soon as it lands on his desk, scoring a massive victory for his administration after months of negotiations between Democratic Party moderate and progressive sides and their Republican counterparts. The core part of Biden's infrastructure bill, which is the key component of the administration's Build Back Better agenda, includes massive investments in roads, bridges, and waterways and other hard infrastructure. Critically, the infrastructure bill is not the same as the spending bill being pushed through by Democrats, which includes broad provisions to climate change, taxes, amnesty for illegal immigrants who entered the country before 2010. The bill received a handful of votes from Republicans necessary to pass the bill, which saw six Democrat holdouts. The infrastructure will cost $1.2 trillion over eight years and offers more than $550 billion in new spending, including... $110 billion towards road, bridges, and other much-needed infrastructure fix-ups, $40 billion in new funding for bridge repair, $17.5 billion for major projects, what they are, we don't know, or at least I don't know, $73 billion for countries' electric grid and power structures, that's much needed, $66 billion for rail services, which is supposed to be private enterprises, $65 billion for broadband, $55 billion for water infrastructure, $21 $21 billion for environmental remediation, $47 billion for flooding and coastal resiliency, $39 billion for to modernize transit, $25 billion for airports, $17 billion in port infrastructure, $11 billion in transportation safety programs, $7.5 billion for electric vehicles and EV charging, uh, $2.5 billion in zero-emission buses, and not one farthing, not one dollar, for rebuilding and continuing the continuation of the uh, building of the wall. you got to hand it to those rhinos. They're shrewd negotiators. If they wanted, if uh, Nancy wanted them to vote for this, at least they could pull something out of the uh, deal that would be something for, good for uh, our environment, for immigration, whatever it might be. It adds up to $256 billion in projected deficits over 10 years, according to the Congressional Budget Office. So there you go. He got his victory. Uh, I hope these uh, rhinos will pay the price in the midterm elections. President Joe Biden approval rating fell to a new low of 38% in the USA Today Suffolk University poll released on Sunday with 59% disapproving of the job he's doing as chief executive. The survey, which comes uh, one year before the midterm elections, was completed just before Democrats passed the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Uh, So here's uh, Vice President Harris, by the way. Her her approval rating is even worse at 28%, with 51% disapproving of the job she's doing. Among others surveyed, 46% said Biden has done a poor job as president than expected, including 16% of those who voted for him. Biden is particularly disappointed independence, with 44% saying he's done worse, not better, than they expected. Joe's uh, not doing very well in the polls, and I think people are going to start distancing them. Democrats are going to distance themselves from Joe as we move towards the midterms. On Friday, in yet another victory for parents' rights, the Florida Division of Administrative Hearings dismissed a case filed by six school districts which have disregarded the will of parents to make decisions for their children. In a landmark case, the administrative law judge ruled that the Florida Department of Health has the legal authority to issue emergency rulings. 
which empowered parents to decide if their children should wear masks or at school and ensure healthy students can remain in school. There is no strong evidence of health benefits for children as a result of mask mandates in schools. The right of parents continues to be protected in Florida, as we can see in this tremendous decision, said State Surgeon General Joseph Lopato. Florida will not make decisions out of fear, but rather those close uh, analysis of the data. And when you break the law, there are consequences, said Commissioner Richard Corcoran. If these districts continue to break the law, we plan to fully uphold them and hold them accountable. Administrative Law Judge Brian Newman found, based on evidence presented, the forcing asymptomatic children to wear masks in schools provides no significant barrier to the spread of COVID-19. Well, thank you, Judge. He is so right. And uh, why we continue with mask mandates and other situations uh, with adults or children makes no sense to me. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Iowa County Sheriff Kevin Rambos says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected into the community and with each other. The Golden Gate Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Tatiana Fortune, director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. We want to be able to connect you to whatever service or activity. And even if the person doesn't want to come out for socialization, if they have a question about, um, hey, where do I go for transportation? Where do I go for uh, a certain health care if they have a need? We are able to point them in that direction through our information and referral service. So we're more than happy to assist in that as well. To find out more, visit CallYourSeniorResources.org. That's CallYourSeniorResources.org or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work, and so much more. I hope you'll visit the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is an author, a book written books mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. I hope you'll check it out. It's good for kids of all ages, including you and I. It's HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. We'll talk about current world events, things going on around the world, and let's start off with what's happening in Nicaragua. 
So we have had an election that, all, by all accounts, was a, pretty much a fake election in the sense that uh, all of the opposition was basically uh, put in prison before the election over the last couple of months. Mm. And we're back, you know, it's it's like this bad penny that doesn't go away with Ortega, who, if we remember way back when, was leading the Sandinistas, and it was a communist back when, now he's just a regular dictator. Yeah. Um, no longer a communist, reminds me of other places, but um, he came in, you know, he, he was elected the first time through, through free elections, and as happens with dictators, he basically slowly gained additional power and arrested all of his opponents, and now you're not allowed to oppose Ortega, um, or you'll be in jail. And if you have you know, a newspaper, if you oppose him, you'll be closed. So Nicaragua's turned into a, a straight-out dictatorship. Mm. You know, we, we fought him when he headed the Sandinistas because he was communist. Now it's just a question of, you know, a bad actor at this point on the world stage, one of many, I'm afraid. Is this a constitutional republic? Uh, what's the government's uh, form? Theoretically, there's, I mean, yeah, there's the Constitution. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be democratic. All these wonderful things, but you know, uh, just because you have laws, listen, I once, um, I, I once know of an exercise done in law school where someone was given, without names or and people didn't didn't know the countries particularly well, the American and the Soviet Constitution. Yeah. Without knowing who it was and who it belonged to. And uh, they looked at, and they were told to ask, which one is better at preserving human rights, more liberal, et cetera, et cetera? It was the Soviet one. Yeah. Because it was written on paper. It had nothing to do with what was actually taking place. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've uh, heard about that. I th- probably heard it from you, but that's so interesting uh, that uh, the words on the paper don't mean anything unless the people and the, the demand, first of all, uh, uh, the compliance, and number two, that the politicians uphold the compliance as well. But it's not a question of upholding, you know. Yes, it's true that people have to demand it, but I don't think the people of the United States demand it as much as the United States developed a class of leaders, at least certainly in all the early years of the Republic, that that to not follow it was considered sacrilegious. Yeah. And even today, to a large extent, although not totally, it, that, you know, the, Ameri- the American religion um, has been and continues to be to greater or lesser extent, the Constitution of the United States. Yeah, we can only hope to a return of that for sure. So uh, let's let's move to Sudan because there's a rebellion and even war in, in Sudan. Right. So in, there you had another uh, a seizure of the of the government by the generals who were not happy. They were sharing power with the civilian leadership. They were not happy with the direction it was going. They threatened to seize power, and then they did it. And now they're promising elections in another two years. Um, very hard to get generals to give up on the power once they've had it. Look at look what happened in Myanmar, the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, you had we had a brief period of elections and uh, freedom and et cetera, and they didn't go for it. They wanted control, and they, re- you know, they seized control again. Um, it's very, very difficult, you know, when you... It goes back to what we just talked about a minute ago, when you don't have the concept of civilian control as part of the understanding of of what the government is all about. And you don't believe in the Constitution is the most important thing. Um, that you have this time and time again with countries where the military, which is obviously the strongest physical force in any given country, uh, takes power. And when it gives it up, it's not really happy and it reseizes it again. Yeah. Uh, it just goes to show the wisdom of our founding fathers. Uh, certainly, they had the experience to, uh, based to uh, to uh, make the decisions that they made because of uh, their rebellion against the uh, English. But irrespective, I mean, uh, the decisions they oh, made. There was, there's no question. There were this unique generation of brilliant people who uh, who managed to create a document that yeah, it was flawed in some ways. It didn't deal properly with slavery, for instance. But by and large, it's managed to to maintain itself over 200 and some odd years, uh, it still works. Yeah. They, you know, they didn't anticipate certain things, and as you know, some of them, were, they opposed political parties, but they developed anyway. Yeah. They were right about opposing political parties, that's a different story. Yeah. So, um, you know, there was, there was a brilliant document, and it stood the test of time, and it has the ability to change with the times. I think that's also very important. I agree. They understood at the time that what they did wrote then may be the basis, but it would need to be amended over the years. 
For sure. Not many times, though. I, really, just 17 times since uh, the, the uh, Bill of Rights. Uh, but irrespective, I mean, it also points out that it's a negotiated uh, document, and in order to satisfy everybody to get on board in order to become a Republican in uh, 1789, there had to be certain concessions. One of them, of course, ended up being the slavery issue. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It was negotiated. It was done by, by politicians, not by gods. Right. Very bright politicians, but they were still politicians. They understood what their limitations were. But considering those limitations, and also considering the fear that, Amer- that many Americans and had of a strong central government, they still managed to craft a document that provided a strong central government while still maintaining uh, both state rights and then, of course, once they passed the Bill of Rights, individual rights. Yeah, just really critical and brilliant. Let's move to uh, Belarus. So Belarus is an interesting case. We've discussed this before where Belarus is um, the last of the communist leaders in a dictatorship. Uh, He keeps on staying in power by faking the elections, let's put it that way. He's the famous guy who made a forced plane that was flying over the country, not planning to land in the country, down so he could remove a dissident and put him on trial. Right. Um, And now he has a new strategy to try to undermine the EU and also undermine Poland um, and the Polish-EU relationship, which is difficult enough uh, under strain in any case, is that he's been encouraging refugees to come to Belarus and then tries to push them off across the Polish border. And the Poles are pushing back, and, of course, it becomes a problem because of the EU constitution about receiving refugees, and it gets rolled into the whole general disagreement between the Polish government and the EU, Mm. uh, which has gotten very complicated, where the Polish government refuses to accept the rules of the EU, but then demands to continue to receive the money from the EU. And you have a country that's probably 50-50 divided. There were huge demonstrations yesterday, I believe it was, in Poland, against the very, very strict anti-abortion laws that existed, that exist, excuse me, in Poland. Um, I think it was, it was, the catalyst for that was a 34-year-old woman who was carrying a problematic pregnancy who died. And there was absolutely almost no exception, I think, even for the life of the mother in Poland for abortion. So it's uh, created quite a controversy, and the country is split right down the middle between the conservative rural sections and the more liberal uh, urban sections. That same divide exists between the question of relations with the EU. So do I recall that Belarus had uh, tremendous problems with the election integrity? And, uh, right, well, there was a, it was a false election. Yeah. There's no question. They basically, you know, whatever I just said about Nicaragua is what happened in Belarus. Yeah. So you have the same guy, I think, who's been in power now for 38 years or something in that area. And he won't give up power. Mm. So, so very similar situation. You know, what we haven't talked about in a while is COVID around the world. I'd love to have you weigh in on that. So COVID around the world is a very mixed mixed story at the moment. So what's happening in, with COVID around the world is you have a resurgence of the Delta wave that um, hit the United States uh, over the summer and is now hitting different parts of Europe in different ways. So it's hitting Western Europe um, where the number of cases has gone way up and primarily because they did not realize the need for a booster and have not started using doing booster shots uh, but the death and um, hospitalizations are not up as much because of the same reason that happened in the United States, where you have a high percentage of the population um, who are vaccinated, and although they get sick, they don't go get hospitalized and die. So in most of Western Europe, we have a large number of cases, but not a, uh, not the same number of hospitalizations and deaths that were in the previous waves before anyone was vaccinated. So the, the vaccine has... We haven't, you know, those countries have not had the booster shot, like what happened here in Israel. And um, so that's what's, what's happened in part of Western Europe. Eastern Europe is more problematic because Eastern Europe has a very low vaccine rate, somewhere between 30 and 40 percent, places like Romania and Czechoslovakia and those places. And so you now have this delta wave that's hitting, it's hitting in the wintertime, which of course is, is most problematic. And um, it's the death rate and the hospitalization rates are starting to 
to go sky high. And so you have a lot of vaccine hesitancy and uh, religious opposition and all sorts of things going on in parts of Eastern Europe, and the result is a much is a higher death toll that's taking place right now. And of course, it's coming at the same time as winter. And as we all know, that leaving aside vaccines or anything else, the best place to be for a, um, in a case of um, of Delta or any other wave of this COVID is to be outdoors. Right. Because in outdoor venues, by and large, people aren't able to to contract because it's very hard to transmit it. But as winter comes, people go indoors, uh, we're seeing those rates go up. And um, it's by, by and large the same thing in reverse in the United States, because in the South, as you know, well know living there, in the South during the summer, everyone's indoors because it's too hot to be outside. Mm-hmm. Now in the North, where people were outside all winter, all, all summer, now they've gone indoors, and a lot of the Northern states are seeing a big rise. So. Mm. The key, one of the key things about COVID is stay out of doors, stay away from large indoor venues, and um, that seems to be a rule that seems to be be very much the case. Yeah. So, uh, how about uh, Israel? What's uh, 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 Israel is now way, way down. We're down to somewhere in the area of three hundred cases a day. We were as high as nine thousand before they started the booster campaign. Mm-hmm. So it's down to about three hundred a day. We had about nine hundred people. Seriously ill, we're down to about a hundred and something, um, and all all because the booster campaign was so successful. And um, Israel was the first to vaccinate its population, and therefore it was also the first to see the initial vaccine begin to wear off, and therefore it was the first country to use the booster campaign, which has worked mm-hmm. tremendously well. What's the uh, uh, situ- What's the uh, position on uh, vaccinating uh, vaccinating children, uh, say five to eleven? It hasn't been, been a decision. There was a public debate about it, I believe, last Thursday, and the decision is going to be made this week. the The general sense is that it's going to be approved and and go forward. Um, again, there is zero evidence of any long term harm, and of course, you always take your chance with children. You just, you know, long term is. You know, long term. Yeah. Um, but um, look, um, we vaccinate against polio, and polio actually has a has less of a you know, has less of a death rate, and less of a, most cases of polio were very very mild. It was just those who weren't mild that ended up being handicapped for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So, um, generally speaking, I, I would assume that that COVID will enter into. Um, those things you're going to get vaccinated for the same way that you get vaccinated for all sorts of other diseases. Is there a chance? And the other interesting thing, of course, this week was the the um, notification by Pfizer of the pill that works. Yeah. And the pill works 90% effective uh, amongst people who are um, likely to become hospitalized or die. Uh, in the trial, the trial was ended early because of the people who were getting the placebo, seven people died. Of the people getting the pill, nobody died. And the hospitalization was way, way down. Yeah. The problem with the pill, and the reason why it's not an absolute panacea, as I first thought it was, is the pill has to be administered within three days, maybe five days, of contracting COVID. Unfortunately, A, people don't necessarily know they have it unless they get tested quickly. And if you don't, if you don't uh, take the pill in those first, that first window, uh, then it won't be effective. Yeah, interesting. How about India? So, What's happening in India? India has, uh, you know, Delta sort of burned through to India, and now the numbers are constant to low. They've actually been, India's had one of the most successful vaccination campaigns in the world, despite its huge population. Uh, they went from like 5% vaccinated to like 75 to 80% of the adults. Wow. So that's been very effective. China, by the way, continues its its policy of zero COVID. In other words, any time a case comes down, they literally lock down the city still, lock down everybody, and they're attempting to, to maintain zero COVID by doing that. Are they going to be successful? I don't know, but no other country in the world could do what China does. Yeah. Russia, by the way, is having big, big, big difficulties. Both a very low vaccination rate, their vaccine seems to be less effective than the vaccines of uh, Pfizer, Moderna, or uh, Johnson & Johnson. And so their numbers have are, are been constantly pretty high, growing. And of course, in Russia, it's cold and everyone's indoors now. So, Yeah, uh, very interesting. 
Let's, uh, you know, uh, there was an assassination attempt in Iraq, and I wondered if you'd uh, comment on that. Yeah, absolutely. So we had an assassination attempt. This, I think, was the first attempt of an assassination by using a drone. So it was a drone that was used to, um, to land on the house of the prime minister of Iraq. By all accounts, it was most likely Iranian-backed militias. Iran is not happy with the, with the results of the last Iranian, excuse me, Iraqi election. We spoke about this two weeks ago. They had free elections, and by and large, those people who were close to and support Iran were very, very, got very low vote, vote and were pushed almost out of power. But they're very strong Iranian-backed militia still in Iraq, and they are, the Iranians have been giving them uh, drones, and they use this drone against the prime minister and hoping to force a new election or just kill the guy, and luckily it did not succeed. Hmm. And, you know, Iran continues to be this really bad actor everywhere. So interesting. Before I let you go, uh, Mark, uh, any comments on the supply chain issues that are happening around the world? Apparently, it's not just the United States. No, it's not the United States. It's the whole world. And um, the issue looks like it's starting a little bit to resolve, but it's going to take a little while longer for it to resolve. The the individual shortages, don't forget, every time China locks down a city, that's the whole set of manufacturers who are not making these key items, whatever whatever they may be in the the key supply chain. Uh, (coughs) Rates of freight are way, way higher. They're like 10 times what they were a year ago. Right. so the freight companies are doing very well. Um, so you have this problem, um, and you have this imbalance. My guess is it'll take until January or February to fully work its way out. It will eventually work its way out because the market is always good at finding solutions. You know, if you can't send it by sea, send it by air. Right. And if it costs a little bit more now, it'll go down afterwards. So, and you look the, so much of the. So much of the world's commerce now is done by these big global companies. I mean, look at Amazon, which results in such a, a significant portion of online sales in the United States, for instance, and other parts of the world. And they have their own logistics team completely by their own planes. So I suspect that we'll see a slow, assuming we don't have another wave of COVID or something else, I think we'll see a slow easing of the, of the situation. I think there'll be shortages here and there, but I think Certainly by the time, you know, after the holiday season, I think we're going to start seeing things move back to normal. Uh, whether it's going to result, whether higher prices are going to be a norm in that, I don't know. I think they will be because I think ultimately in the United States, there is a labor shortage. And while some jobs can be replaced by computers, robots, etc., I think the labor shortage, uh, certainly at the low end of the scale, uh, will keep on pushing uh at least salaries up, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but of course, if it brings prices up as well, mm. that of course is not, not the best outcome. What amazes me is the labor shortage is driven in large part because people are just dry, dropping out of the labor force. It's just like over 100 million people now that are unemployed, or only about 61% of the people that are eligible in the, in the labor force are in the labor force, So, uh, which means they're neither applying for unemployment or trying to find a job. Right, but I remember two things. That, um, yes, that's true. Um, but I believe there's some number of like a half a million people who, have, who are effectively disabilities with, with long COVID. Um, you also have to take into account these, you know, that includes all the potential women who could work. And a lot of women make decisions not to work at the moment because of child care because they can't get people to take care of their kids. Good point. So it's a, it's a vicious cycle in that sense. Yeah. Um, and again, there's a question of, you know, what, uh, what pay does it pay to work? Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, there's there's um, expenses involved in getting that it, you know it's um, eight dollars an hour, nine dollars an hour. It's just it's logical. Yeah, Mark Schulman again, so. founder publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I encourage our listeners go to HistoryCentral.com and check it out. Great for kids of all ages. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week. You Bye-bye. as well. Thank you so much. All right, coming up. Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke. 
Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit GulfShorePlayhouse.org. That's GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can get tickets now by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you, Bob. Always a pleasure, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. Your listeners can learn a lot more about us by visiting our website, which is fee.org, and there they'll find uh, daily commentary on issues of the moment, as well as uh, historical pieces, uh, articles on history, economics, uh, and uh, many other aspects of life. Our purpose is to educate and inspire young people in ideas of individual liberty, private enterprise, and private property, uh, free markets, small government, and personal character. And we do that not only through the website with its commentary and free videos and other features, but also through events that we host on campuses and at schools all over the country and quite often abroad as well. Yeah, no, terrific organization. If there's a young person in your life, high school or college age, strongly encourage you to introduce them to the Foundation for Educa uh, Economic Education, FEE.org. Larry, you wrote a terrific piece on how we can repair the American education system to build a freer society. <laughs> really timely and really interesting. Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. You know, it's becoming so apparent, Bob, uh, unfortunately, that all over the country that the system of government schooling, sometimes called public school, uh, is broken. In uh, some places it's much worse than in others, but in all places it is broken compared to what we would achieve if we injected such forces as uh, choice and competition, transparency, and accountability. Like any go government operation, it's plagued by bureaucracy. It's plagued by uh, people who seek power rather than uh, a, a higher goal and who like to work their way into positions where they can tell other people what to do, and they don't like competition, uh, typically. So uh, that's why public schooling these days has really become a, a, a very expensive trap for parents in our inner cities who can't afford to escape. Uh, of course, the, uh, uh, the powers that be, typically in the Democratic Party, uh, they don't want to give those parents options and choices. They're they want them to stay where they're told to go, 
according to their zip code, not according to their choice. And the result is uh, poor schooling and a lack of attention or interest on the part of parents. Now, you might say, well, that's the problem. Parents aren't interested. Well, f- yeah, that's often the case, but it's for the same reason that uh, you spend a lot more time uh, going showroom to showroom choosing the car you want to buy than the school that your kid is going to go to mm-hmm. most often. Because if you're assigned to something and told that you have to pay twice, you will be penalized if you choose an alternative that is a private school. Then um, what incentive have you got to, uh, uh, to, to really shop around? That's so true. You know, it's it's a shame that basically uh, the public education quality is very much dependent on your zip code. And some parents, for example, can make a choice. They can actually afford to buy or pay for public school or alternatives uh, to the public school system. Poor people can't. And they, you know, do they care any less about the quality of education for their kids? Yeah, that's a great question, and we know the answer, I think. You know, just imagine if we were to do with, uh, let's say, food, what we've done with uh, government education. If we were to, you know, right now you can shop uh, wherever you want to to buy the food you need Mm -hmm. Uh, in your town, in the next town, the next state, wherever, online, uh, lots of different options, and the food is not grown by a government monopoly or a collective farm. It's grown by private, profit-seeking uh, farmer entrepreneurs. And you're not assigned to a grocery store. You can sh- and you can say no thanks if there's a grocery store that you don't like. Now, what if somebody were to say, hey, no, I think we ought to stop doing food that way, and let's do it the way we do schooling. Yeah. Let's tell everybody <laughs> you have to buy your food from a government grocery store, um, food that is grown on government collective farms, and you have to buy at the grocery store you're assigned to based upon your zip code. And if you choose to buy from some other store, well, then we're going to make you pay twice. You'll have, to, you'll have to continue to pay for the one that you don't want to patronize as well as the one that, uh, of your choice. Does anybody in their right mind think that the result of that would be excellence in the food industry? Absolutely not. Well, I think it's a great analogy and demonstrates how costly the system is not only in terms of the money, but also in terms of, uh, you know, the, the quality of education that uh, kids are receiving right now. And, you know, uh, parents, the big issue right here in the United States, unfortunately here in Florida, we've made our decision. We have a bill of parents' rights in terms of going to public schools. So the parents are in charge of the education, are basically in charge of the decisions. So when it comes to masks and these other mandates, the parents decide, not the school system. We're fortunate yeah, here. but that's uh, the way it ought to be. Yeah. These pu- public systems become uh, riddled with uh, activists who have an agenda, and it's not uh, to educate kids as much as it is to indoctrinate them with their uh, personal political uh, agenda. And uh, parents need to have the opportunity to say, no thanks, uh, I don't want any of that. And... Uh, Choice would give them that option. You know, it's amazing, too. A lot of the teachers who are effectively indoctrinating uh, young children, they really don't uh, understand or realize that they are, in fact, indoctrinating because they've been indoctrinated. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to teachers and have asked them, okay, who caused the Great Depression? And, uh, you know, usually they say, well, that was capitalism. Then I say, well, okay, that's one view. I think it's sadly mistaken. But what's the other side that you teach? And she's and the uh, t- uh, teachers more than once have said, "Oh, the other side is that uh, uh, it was businesses that caused the depression." They think that's the other side, <laughs> and you know, it never occurs to them to talk about the shenanigans of the Federal Reserve, this sky-high tax rates, and and other factors that really caused the Great Depression. So I, I feel sorry for teachers who themselves have been indoctrinated and just don't know that they're not teaching the other side because they don't know the other side. That's so true. I once asked a public school teacher, uh, you know, what happens to the profits that of Apple, uh, for example, when, when they make a profit? And, then, and her response was, well, of course, the uh, president, CEO, and all the, the leaders of the company keep the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, she's probably teaching economics. Can you believe that? It's like me teaching uh, nuclear physics. <laughs> there it says. So let's talk about the hopeful change 
what you'd like to see in terms of uh, the future for public education? Well, I think the future is going to be brighter than the present because I think parents are waking up. The pandemic prompted a lot of them to uh, notice what was going on in the classroom because they could look over the shoulder of their child and see what was on his computer screen. And uh, then the uh, uh, mandates, uh, masks and vaccine mandates, uh, uh, turned a lot of parents off. And uh, then uh, now the uh, introduction of critical race theory is uh, causing a backlash, too. And, and, you know, even worse than critical race theory is all the establishment people who are trying to convince you that it's not really happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's so typical of the left. Mm-hmm. They indoctrinate, and then when you catch them at it, they lie about it. Mm-hmm. And that isn't going to sit well with a lot of parents who at some point are going to say, we've had enough. Right, absolutely. So, uh, quite frankly, we know we've gotten where we want to be. I mean, money is not the solution to better education. We've just increased substantially the cost of education, public education otherwise, here in the United States, and our kids are not getting any smarter as a consequence. It happen- you yeah. know, I think parent, uh, making the money follow the child instead of paying taxes and having uh, paying for public education, let the parents decide how that money is going to be used for their kids' education. Absolutely. I'm so sick of this uh, claptrap about, uh, oh, we don't spend enough on education. I mean, uh, in real terms, we've more than doubled the per-pupil spending uh, in public schools over the last 30 years. Uh, So been there, done that. And uh, we've also heaped onto public schools and teachers all kinds of mandates and rules and dictates from on high. The whole system needs to be liberated, and the same forces of choice and competition, accountability... Uh, and transparency that make so many other things work in a free economy need to be applied to schooling. Someday we'll look back and say, can you believe for generations we actually told parents they had to send their kids to the school they were assigned to according to their zip code, and we penalized them if they picked a better school? Uh, I mean, it's, it's just medieval. Right, absolutely. Larry Reed, I guess we, I wish we could continue the conversation. Larry, we're out of time before we're out of topics to talk about here, but it's such an interesting discussion. Larry Reed, again, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Uh, FEE.org is the website. Larry, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A perfect product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. 
Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.optimaed.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more and download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of several books. His latest two are Great Murder Mysteries, uh, Follow the Leader, and Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure. Uh, I'm up here in chilly Pennsylvania, where I've, I've resettled uh, in May from inside the Beltway. But uh, uh, thanks to electronics, I might as well be living inside the Beltway. It's so <laughs> My true. My lifestyle hasn't changed that much. Yeah, beautiful. I love the fall up in that part of the country. It's beautiful up there. But now you're starting to move out of fall into uh, winter months. So uh, anyhow, I hope the skies are blue. So, uh, Jim, uh, I'd love to get your comments on the election, what happened recently, and also on the infrastructure bill. What are your thoughts? Well, the election was amazing. I mean, I, I mean, in, in Virginia, uh, they had a million more voters turn out for this governor's race than when McAuliffe ran in 2013. I, I, I mean, the, uh, the Democrats, uh, Virginia looked like a reliably blue state. And uh, the Democrats, with their social policies, uh, really turned it uh, bright Republican red. Mm-hmm. And what's amazing is the, the, the Democrats, most of them, don't seem to get it. They, they are uh, saying that, uh, you know, voters in Virginia and in New Jersey turned against them because they failed to get any legislation passed in Washington. And, and nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah, I think voters are reacting. You know what the Democrats are doing is, is normalizing, or trying to to uh, normalize per- perversion yeah. <laughs> and criminality, and and the uh, the public has had enough of it. And there was a huge shift among so-called independent voters who who generally re- lean to the right, but uh, but the, uh, the independents in Virginia voted against uh, Trump in the presidential race. Uh, they came flocking back to the Republican Party and, uh, you know, gave uh, Yonkin uh, the victory here. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, any, any comments? Uh, New Jersey, I hear that now the, uh, the truck driver that won the election against the Senate president, the state Senate president, apparently uh, the, the, uh, the state Senate president says, oops, we found another 20,000 votes. Uh, there seems to be some shenanigans going on up there in, in uh in New Jersey, any comments? Well, I haven't actually followed that particular race. I just, you know, I was looking at the results with the uh, governor's race. Phil Murphy really, he barely held on against Cirelli. And, and New Jersey is a blue state. So to see that kind of a shift, yeah. even if the Republicans lost, I mean, that's a doomsday scenario for the, Republic, or the Democrats in the next midterm, 2022. Uh, polling came out today, USA Today, which is a left-leaning publication, has uh, Biden's popularity at 38-point-something percent, uh, very, very low. And Kamala Harris is 10 points, uh, her approval rating is 10 points below him. She's like 28 percent. So, and, you know, looking ahead to the next election, we're going to have a winner, uh, a cold winter, and, and uh, natural gas prices are going to go through the roof. Yep. Pump prices are high. I mean, these are taxes on on your average American, and and Americans are going to go to the polls in 2022 with uh, economic gripes as well as uh, social gripes. So, so I, I think the, the Democrats are going to get massacred in the midterm elections. From your lips to God's ear, <laughs> Jim, uh, I can, we can only hope. Unfortunately, I mean, it'd be one thing if they had a, a good policy or good programs to support American citizens, but they don't. They seem to be in favor of uh, uh, illegal immigrants more than they are Americans. That's the appearance. 
Uh, yes, they've been garnering very bad headlines, like the uh, settlement with the, the people whose families were separated at the border, giving yeah. them each $400,000 apiece, which is just patently ridiculous, yeah. and would encourage uh, illegals from across the globe to come to the United States and get an ACLU lawyer you know, and become a millionaire. It, it's, it's just out and out insanity. Um, now, uh, you know, one way the Democrats could score points is to try to tar every Republican as a uh, racist uh, uh, crazy. And I would encourage people to do due diligence before you join a group or do due diligence before you go to the town square to participate in a demonstration to figure out who is behind the demonstration. Because uh, we have a situation in Lancaster County where, where a, a, an American who lived 30 years in Moscow, who has strong ties to Putin, uh, was organizing demonstrations in, in uh, Lancaster County, PA, uh, under names that, that, that would appeal to your uh, patriotism. And then w when you get there, uh, they're raving anti-Semites. Uh, they're encouraging, you know, violence. Uh, hmm. the, the Charles uh, Bowsman is one of the leaders. He lived in Moscow for 30 years, came back to Lancaster County and bought a property, and he was encouraging uh, violence on January 6th. And he actually took, he actually stormed the Capitol and then immediately fled back to, to Moscow. So uh, the the point the point being that he's he's not a CIA he's not a CIA operative is he or working no, with the FBI? No, he's a Russian operative. <laughs> so here's the point. I mean, Putin is not a friend of Trump. Yeah. <laughs> Putin is not a friend of Americans. So you know, so he has a network who are trying to to sow uh, division and violence and. And, and so, uh, you know, I'm just saying that, that uh, you know, be careful with whom you associate. Make sure that they're genuine uh, patriots or they're uh, yeah. an American organization. It's not a hate group. I, I mean, the Bowsman group is anti-Semitic, and, you know, Donald Trump is not an anti-Semite. That's so obvious. Uh, but... But, the, but these groups, Putin tries to paint him as such yeah. to sow, sow division in, in our democracy. So I'm just saying, uh, people, do your due diligence. You know, uh, uh, you know it, it reminds me, Jim, that uh, Tucker Carlson did this terrific uh, series on January the 6th. Actually, you can go to TuckerCarlson.com and watch it at no cost. It's a three-part series on January 6th. Well worth watching, but I think it demonstrates how... Uh, nefarious motives can get involved in the whole process of, uh, of your protests and of your interest groups. Uh, sometimes things are not as they appear. Sometimes it's uh, FBI operatives that are playing a more important role than uh, the people themselves. Un unbelievable. Yeah. unbelievable. No, there, was a, there was violence in Massachusetts this weekend. You know, a group, uh, a, a group that looks like a, a pro-democracy group went out to demonstrate, and Antifa came out, and there was a big fistfight. Well, here's the thing. The, the group sponsoring the protest specializes in, in sticking a stick in, in the eye of Antifa to encourage fistfights. <laughs> you know? So, you, yeah. you know, you don't know this. You, you go out and, you, you know, you want to protest, uh, uh, you, you know, Whatever same, it might same be. sex bathrooms in the high school. Yeah. And, and actually, you're being set up to get hit over the head with a stick. Yeah. So, uh, again, I just urge people, uh, you know, don't hide your politics, don't hide your enthusiasm, but just uh, do as much due diligence when you go to a protest as you do when you go out and yeah. buy a car. I think that's wise uh, advice. Uh, Jim McTagg, again, author of Two Great Murder Mysteries. I hope you check out Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree. Jim, I always appreciate your commentary on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we'll visit with our state senator, Kathleen Pasadoma. We'll find out what's new with Boo Boo Mortensen right here on the Paradise Coast. Seton Modley is the founder and president of Less Government, and my wife, Linda, will be joining us. Uh, she writes greetings from Paradise. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.